Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Just keep in mind what he said about the mine. Um, and usually I do get fairly nervous whenever I'm asked to speak like this, and this time wasn't any different. But I was a little bit less nervous this time because I knew that I had to speak out of the book of Luke, that it wasn't really a, an option. I had to speak out of the book of Luke because um, that's where Stephen's been for quite a while. And I'm not sure if it's a coincidence or not that... Um, he has a child by the name of Luke, I'm not sure, but, but if we start doing intensive studies on uh, Caleb and, and Abigail in the Bible, then we'll, we'll probably know, but anyway, that's, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but uh, I really do thank you for just allowing me the opportunity to, <clears throat> to speak this morning. Um, and I actually am gonna speak out of the book of Luke. Uh, we're gonna go to the book, um, Luke 8 starting in verse 40, and this is the story of a woman with the issue of blood and um, Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. And <clears throat> it's probably, I'm sorry, clear my throat in the microphone. It's probably about three years ago, I guess, whenever um, we heard this, this preached, and I think it was Pastor Jake probably preached this, and you know, the Bible is uh, alive. The Bible is, is, is a fresh word, and it's not just a book that you read once or twice and check it off your list of things that you've read. You know, the Bible is alive, and it, it speaks to you every time that you, um, you open it up, and, and that's why I've enjoyed so much the, going through Luke um, in this journey, because it's been so much revelation. You know, you've read through it, and you've heard stories, but, but every time you hear it, there can be something different that you get from it, so, and, and the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood was just like that, because I'd never, I'd never noticed or taken notice of the fact that it states that the woman had, it had suffered for 12 years. And it also stated that Jairus' daughter was a girl of 12 years old. So I thought that was interesting and made me want to look into it a little bit deeper. And it actually said it another time in, in Mark, in Mark's account of the story, it also calls it out um, that she was 12 and that she had been suffering for 12 years. So the, the, the word of God is alive and it, and it speaks to you every time that, that you read it. So, so we'll go ahead and we'll start reading Luke 8, verse 40. When Jesus and his disciples crossed the lake, another crowd was waiting to welcome him. And a man made his way through the crowd. His name was Jairus. And he was, a, he was a synagogue official, and like the man on the other side of the lake, this dignified man also fell at Jesus' feet, begging Jesus to visit his home, where his only daughter, a girl of 12, was lying dying, was, lay dying. And Jesus sent out with uh, Jairus, and the crowd came along too, pressing hard against him. The crowd, in the crowd was a woman, and she had suffered from an incurable menstrual disorder for 12 years, and had spent her livelihood on doctors with no effect. It had also kept her miserable and richly unclean and unable to participate fully in Jewish life. She followed Jesus until she could reach him. She touched the fringe of his robe that Jesus wore, and at that moment the bleeding stopped. Jesus stopped and looked around and said, who touched me? Some in the crowd said, not me, and others in the crowd said, it wasn't me either. And Peter said, Master, what kind of question is this? There's people all around you and they're touching you on all sides. But Jesus said, I felt something. I felt the power going out of me and I know that somebody touched me. The woman now realized her secret was going to come out sooner or later, so she stepped out of the crowd, shaking with fear, and she fell down in front of Jesus. Then she told the story in front of everyone why she had touched him and the result, uh, what happened after she had touched him. 
Jesus said, your faith has made you well again, daughter. Go in peace. And right at that instant, one of Jairus' household servants arrived saying, sir, your daughter is dead. There's no use bothering the teacher anymore with this. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. She'll be well again. And as they approached the house, the whole neighborhood was full of the sound of mourning, weeping, wailing, loud crying. And Jesus told everyone to stay outside except for Peter, James, John, and of course the, the girl's parents. And Jesus said, please stop weeping. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. And they knew for certain that she was dead, so their bitter tears were now mixed with mocking laughter. Meanwhile, Jesus inside took the little girl's hands and said, child, get up. She started breathing again, and she sat right up. And Jesus said, get her something to eat. Her parents were amazed, but Jesus only told them to keep what they had seen in secret. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to speak your word. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. And, Lord, that the words that I speak would speak to someone um, in, the, in the spot in their journey that they're in, Lord, that would speak to them the words they need to hear. And, Lord, I just pray, God, that you speak the life into them they need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so think back in your life around 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Where were you? What were you doing? What was going on in your life right then? I'm going to guess that for the most part, um, most everybody in here uh, was not here. They were in different places. Um, maybe you were at a different church. Maybe you were in a different state. Maybe you were only four years old or whatever. I'm not sure. But we were probably all, the majority of us probably weren't here. All right. Um, I know I wasn't. And I probably would have never thought that 12 years later, from 12 years back, that I would be at this point right now speaking to you, preaching, and wearing cowboy boots up here. <laughs> Mainly the cowboy boot part. I would have never thought that 12 years ago I'd be wearing cowboy boots, but anyway. So, so 12 years ago, I look at my life, and I was a young 34-year-old 34 34 man. Had three-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old, right? Um, and just so happened that I was approached with an opportunity. And that opportunity was to coach basketball at, at Victory Christian School over there. Um, they were needing a coach. They were just needing somebody to fill in. And I fit that mold. I was somebody. So, so, they chose, so I, I said, sure, I'll do this. I mean, I liked basketball. I played some. Um, I even played a little bit in junior high. And I played my senior year in high school. but. I was really the person on the, on the bench that kind of watched the game wearing a uniform, but that's, that was kind of my role. But so, so I said, sure, I wanna, I'll, I'll be the coach because my kids were going there and I knew that I wanted to kind of make sure that, that kept going for whenever they got up there and had the opportunity to, to play basketball. So, so I was coaching basketball now. In my limited skills, um, in my limited abilities, I had no training. Um, it's not like I went to school to be a coach or, or anything like that. So my, my, my whole coaching philosophy came from the time that I was in junior high and the time that I spent in senior high. So, I mean, we actually, I actually had a few of the drills that, down that you could run during practice. I even remembered a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense, stuff like that. So, so um, and this was really, a, this was a, a legitimate league. This wasn't like upward basketball where they kept no score and everybody wins and, Everybody got orange slices and juice boxes at the end. You know, this was a real league where they were out there to, to beat you. So, um, and there were some very good teams. 
there's some teams that probably could have competed with some of the high school teams around here, you know. Um, but there was also some very, very bad teams, and we were on that end of the very, very bad teams, right? To kind of put it in perspective, uh, you know, junior, senior high basketball, I coach senior high and junior high boys basketball. And typically, on a senior high team, you're going from 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, right? Well, we didn't have enough kids for 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, so we had kids on the senior high team from 6th to 7th, 8th, to 9th, to 10th. I think we may even have a fifth grader in at one time at one point. So, so we were outmatched quite a bit. But I guess what, what we wanted to do was make sure they had the opportunity to play. So, um, so and then that team would probably have maybe two guys that were actually of senior high age playing on it. But so we were outmatched to say the least. And I know I remember one game that the score I can't remember the exact score, but I know that it was like 80 something to six. <laughs> <laughs> or eight. I mean, we didn't even score double digits, and they were in the 80s almost, but, but we were a little overmatched. But I do remember one game in particular, and it may have, may have been my first game, but we were just starting out, you know, and we had gone through a couple of practices a week, and, you know, we were ready for this first game, and we were playing one of the better teams in the league. It was the school out of Magnolia, Columbia, Christian, you know. This is one of the, the elite teams in the, in the whole league. So... Um, and if you've ever been to a basketball game and you watch warm-ups, you can kind of gauge the, during the warm-ups which team is better than the other team. Because you've got this team over here in their matching sweatsuits and their jogging suits and they're doing these drills and they're looking crisp and they're like a well-oiled machine. They're going through all this stuff. And then you've got this group over here. They're, they're just kind of shooting around, trying to steal the ball from each other. <laughs> a couple of them over here are just talking and stuff. And it, so it, you, you kind of get an idea of how this is going to go. So the game starts like a usual game would, and, and, and we're actually kind of hanging in there a little bit, you know. We score a couple points, they score a couple points. I mean, they were probably four or five points ahead or anything like that, but all of a sudden, they did something that I wasn't really expecting and that I definitely hadn't prepared for. It's something called a full court press. And if you don't know what that is, when the team scores, when the other team scores a basket, they're gonna immediately get back on defense right there to try to keep you from throwing the ball in first. And if you actually happen to do get the ball in, then they're going to attack you severely and without mercy to try to steal the ball or make you throw the ball away. And they were very good at it. And we were very unprepared. And what was a close game for a few minutes probably turned into a 25, 30-point um, lead for the other team in just a very short amount of time. And I was just kind of there with my deer in the headlight look, um, just totally out of my league. And I was like, what have I done? What have I done to these kids? So, but, and the rest of the game went about that same way. And it was pretty bad, but, but I stayed there for about 10 years doing this. I, I coached for like 10 years and, and first few years was pretty rough. But we actually did get a little bit better toward the end and even won a trophy my last year. So that was pretty impressive. And, and Alex was part of that trophy, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so volunteer to coach that one year, it kind of shaped the next 10 years of my life, you know, uh, about how I went about doing things and everything like that. So saying all that to kind of say that life is a journey and it's full of unexpected twists and turns, and you really never know where it's going to take you, okay? In this scripture, talking about the, the woman with the issue of blood and, and Jairus, um, we see two different people um, from two different 
lifestyles, and they're on two different journeys, two different paths. And it all started 12 years earlier, right? So who do we have? We have Jairus. And I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. I really don't know how to say this guy's name. Because um, every time I had read this before, I always called him Jarius, right? So I thought it was Jarius. But then I started studying a little bit more, and I, I realized that there was no extra I, so it was Jarus. And then I even confused myself even more by looking at the, the, the official pronunciation, and it was Jarus. So if I say any of those three names, just know I'm talking about the same person. We're not, we're not, we don't have three people here. So, but I'm going to try my best to say Jarus, Jarus. And that may not even be right, but... All right, so he was a prominent member of society, right? He was a synagogue official, uh, well-educated in the law of Moses. He, he knew what was going on there. He was very wealthy, and he was well-known. So he had a lot going on for him, right? And the story starts 12 years earlier, so he had just had this beautiful baby girl, right? So Jairus had a lot, Jairus had a lot going on for him right now. And then contrast the woman in the story. There's not even a mention of her name, so we really don't know a whole lot about her. We don't know if she was married, had kids, was educated, uneducated, not a whole lot of information about her other than the fact that she had the issue of blood. So these are the characters um, in this journey. So that's, that's where we're starting off here. So we start off looking at uh, Jared's journey. His, his journey starts with the birth of his daughter. And as new parents, you know when that first child's born, you are just filled with all kinds of different emotions. I know you're filled with all kinds of different emotions, right? You're scared, you're, you're, you're nervous, you're joyful, you're crying, you're, you're just all, all over the place. But, but mainly, fear. Yeah. Just, just absolutely scared to death because now, what am I supposed to do with this small human being that I'm bringing home now? He's crying, I don't know what's going on, what does he want, is he wet, is he hungry, what's, what's going on? It's, it's kind of like whenever I, play, whenever I coach basketball, I didn't know what was going on, but it's a lot more serious about this now. You don't know what to do. But in the midst of all that fear and all those emotions, you also have hopes and dreams and expectations of, of what this child is going to become. You know, you look at the child and you're thinking the possibility is just endless of what they can do in life. You know where God's going to take them, what's going to happen in their life. So, and also learn that the more kids you have, the more that fear goes away of unknowns because by that second kid, you're an expert. You know, you know what's going on. You know what to do about everything then. So, um, and, but you still have those same hopes and dreams and expectations for every, every kid that you have, every child that you have. But that first kid, you really treat them a little bit differently. I know we did. Um, you almost wrap them in bubble wrap to protect them from all the dangers of the world, right? I mean, you won't let anyone hold them because nobody in this world knows how to hold a baby, right? You don't want them to hold a baby. You don't want them to be around a baby. You, you um, are really overprotective. You, you don't, you, they're never going to stay at their grandparents' house or anywhere else. They're going to always be with me. And, you know, they, if they touch something, you're automatically washing their hands, wiping them off real good and everything. Not so much for the second and third. I mean, by the second and third kid, you see, you see him over there filthy, eating something off the floor, and you're like, eh, it's not that dirty, you know? <laughs> so your, your perspective changes just a little bit, but, but back to Jairus, his journey starting with the birth of his daughter, right? Now, the woman with the issue of blood, her, her journey starts a whole lot differently. And in the version we just read, it's, it calls out the woman's issue as a menstrual disorder. So we have to assume the journey starts like any other time that she's gone through this. And I'm not going to pretend that I have any idea about women issues, okay? 
All I can tell you is what my wife has described it as, and, and she put it in a way that I can understand it, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop right there. So, <laughs> so it really wasn't anything out of the ordinary until it, 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 it doesn't go away. It just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on, all right? And she probably doesn't think about, about it too much at first until days and days and days keep going. And, and now her thoughts are starting to turn into concerns about this. She's like, what's going on here? Why is this not stopping? Why am I still going through this? So she may go to the doctor and just say what's going on. The doctor may say, yeah, this, this isn't really normal, but just give it a few, little bit more time and it'll eventually stop, right? But then the days turn into more days and turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and then month after month after month, it just keeps on going. And now our concerns are starting to turn into fear and worry and, and just not really knowing what in the world is going on. Why is this not stopping? Why am I still going through this? So, so this is the foundation of how these two journeys start. So now, we're gonna skip ahead six years into the journey. So we're going about halfway through these two journeys, right? So we're back at Jairus. His daughter is now six. And you know, six-year-old, as a parent, you're still looking at this kid, this child, and your, your hopes and your dreams and your expectations, they're really starting to come into, into shape now, into shape more, because that personality is starting to shine through. You know, they have likes and dislikes. They have questions. They're always asking you. You know, they're, they're even maybe talking about what they want to do when they get older. And it's, it's just a fun time because at six years old, five, six years old, you're past the fragile toddler stage, right? And then you're past, well, you're past the fragile infant stage. And now you're past the toddler stage. And you're at the stage now where that at least they can go to the bathroom and you're not wearing diapers anymore, right? So. It's a, fun, it's a fun age for kids, right? It's a fun age to have these kids because you, know, you can go out and play with them and do stuff like that. But, but it's also a very terrifying age for parents, mainly because these kids are talking a whole lot. And when they talk, they talk without filter on their mouths, right? Uh, I couldn't even begin to tell you some of the stories of how Alex shared some of our, he shared a close, and personal uh, peek in the side of our, our home life. And he shared this with some of his teachers, some of our friends, and even some of our babysitters. So, and I couldn't even begin, like I said, I couldn't even begin to tell you the stories of, of, of some of the things he's, he's said, so we'll just have to leave it at that. But, but anyway, so Jairus and his wife have this beautiful little girl. She's full of energy, she's full of life, and they're all full of hope and expectation for what the future holds for her. Now going back to the woman, she's now six years in to this issue of blood. And I don't know about you, but six years having to go through anything to me is a long time. Especially if, 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 if with what she was going through, you know. And by now, she's probably looked at this as, this is my fate. This is how the rest of my life is going to be. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting over this. I'm not getting past this. Because she's already been to the doctors. She's been all to, and tried every kind of remedy. And I actually read some of the remedies on the internet. Um, they're on the internet, so they're true, right? They have to be true. Um, and they're really, really sound kind of crazy. One of, the, one of the remedies was that you take an ostrich egg. I guess you gotta find an ostrich egg. There must have been like ostriches everywhere, but you gotta find an ostrich egg and you gotta burn it. And once you burn it, you burn it completely up, 
you take the ashes. And I really never understood what you do with the ashes. I don't know if you spread them on you or keep them in you or whatever. But you have the ashes, and the ashes are supposed to be something to help you through this. Another remedy uh, was even more crazy. But you had to have a piece of corn in your pocket. And this was a special piece of corn. Um, this piece of corn came from the dung of a white donkey. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's just what I read. It was on the internet, so it had to be true. But these sound more some of, like some of the, the hillbilly witch doctor stuff that you saw in Andy Griffith. And I know I probably just aged myself with an Andy Griffith reference, but Andy Griffith, for y'all that don't know, black and white TV show, um, and they had these hillbilly people that came down every once in a while, and they were the darlings, right? And they always had these crazy hillbilly voodoo witch doctor things going on. But anyway, so... Back to the woman, sorry. So she has tried everything, everything to find a cure. She spent every dime that she has trying to get over this, trying to get through this. She's miserable. I mean, she's completely and totally miserable with this disorder. And another thing, she's unclean. By the law, she's unclean. So everything and anyone she comes into contact with becomes unclean as well. So. I'm thinking a lot of people don't want to be around her, and she's probably to the point where she doesn't want to be around anybody because she doesn't want to make them unclean. So, so not only is she sick, but she's also lonely. Not only is she broke, she spent every, money, every bit of money she has, she's also broken physically. She's hopeless. She's in a hopeless situation. Um, she probably thinks that her only escape is going to be when she dies. You know, she's in a very, very, very dark place. Uh, hopelessness is a very, very, very dark place to be in. I mean, it's one thing being sick, and it's one thing being broke. Now, I've been both of those. But whenever you have no hope that there's another side, that there's a way out, it becomes a really, really, really dark place for you to be in. But So that's halfway through the journey of Jairus and this woman. So now we're going to skip ahead to around the last two or three years of the journey. So now Jared's daughter is approaching womanhood because 12 years old was considered a woman back then. At 12 years old, you were now a woman. And I guess mainly because they only had a, like a 40-year life expectancy. So I guess whenever you're 12, you're hitting about the midlife crisis part anyway. So, but yeah, so she's, she's approaching womanhood. And her future is really starting to take shape now because they're probably having talks of, of her getting married and having a family. They're probably having uh, discussions and thoughts about grandkids and how this family's about to be expanded and all these things. Lots of hopes and lots of dreams and lots of planning now for the future. And she has lots of things to look forward to and she's just full of life and full of expectations for all of her future. On the other hand, the woman is now over a decade into constant sickness and constant misery. I mean, misery and agony are now her everyday life. Uh, she's probably still alone. She's pro I mean, like I said, she's probably never been married. She's probably never had kids. She's alone in this. She probably doesn't even remember now what even a normal life looks like anymore. And the, probably the only thing that she can see as a normal life are women that are her age that she sees with a, with a husband. They're married. They're, they have kids. They have this husband. They have a, 
a whole family. They have things, they're living a normal life. They're enjoying normal life. And that's probably the only way that she can even get a glimpse of and remember what normal life is. And you know, maybe she's praying every day. Maybe she's praying every day for something to change, but, but even by now, her prayers are probably just going through the motions, you know, and really just, just, just going through the motions and not even really having any kind of expectations of any kind of change, you know, because her, like we said, her situation is completely hopeless for, for what she's going through. But then, but then there's a detour in the journey for both sides. And the detour is named Jesus. Now, Jesus comes into the stories, and we all know that whenever Jesus shows up, things start to happen. Things start to change. So for Jairus, the news of Jesus probably comes in his discussions with all the other synagogue officials and synagogue leaders. And he may have even seen Jesus at the synagogue, you know. But they're all talking about, hey, this guy, he's speaking in our synagogues now. He has all his authority. Where is he getting his authority? Where is he getting his education? You know, who is he? Who's, you know? And they're talking about he's also doing all these miracles, performing all these miracles. And, and then he's actually questioning how we are talking about, man, this guy even had the nerve to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And then the discussions probably start turning into, we've got to do something about this Jesus. We've got to take care of this, this problem because people are starting to follow him more than they're following us. So we've got to do something about this. So Jairus is probably in the discussions about how to solve this whole Jesus problem. But for the woman, on the other hand, the news of Jesus probably comes from that one family member who's, who's not afraid to go visit her anymore, you know, because she's lonely and, and nobody wants to be around her. But they start telling her about all these miracles that this man is performing. This Jesus, he's out there performing all these miracles. And they're telling her, he healed this lady that had a fever, you know, and she's better now. He healed this paralyzed man. He's running around playing basketball now, you know. They, he healed the, the paralytic. And now he's even healed somebody with leprosy, you know. So as the woman starts to hear these, these hear, hear more and more about Jesus, maybe for the first time in these 12 years, she's starting to get a small, small glimmer of hope that maybe something can be done for her. And as the, as the woman hears more and more and more about Jesus, she starts to believe and she starts to think, you know, hey, if he's really out there doing all these miracles and healing all these people, maybe, just maybe he can heal me. So now, the woman, after so long of being hopeless and so long not having any future or outlook, she starts thinking, I've got to find this Jesus. I've got to go out and find Jesus. So, but then we go back to, to Jairus. He's probably with the synagogue leaders working on the plan to take care of Jesus, get him out of the picture, when his journey takes another detour. He finds out his daughter's sick. So he's probably, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. We'll get it all taken care of. But her sickness starts taking a turn for the worse. And, you know, it gets worse and worse. And with his standing in public, his, he's, he's got money, he's got power, he goes and finds the best doctors. And he, spent, he's, he spares no expense trying to find the cure for his daughter, but nothing's working. No matter how much money or how much influence you throw that, nothing's working to heal his daughter. So... He just, he doesn't know what to do because he sees this daughter that he has that was so full of life and so full of, of, of a future and plans and expectations. He sees all those hopes and dreams are dying, that she's about to die. But then, then all of a sudden he, he remembers about this Jesus problem that they're having. He's like, you know, 
he, he has done these miracles. You know, he has healed these people. And maybe if I go beg him, maybe he'll look past all of our plans that we're doing right now to get rid of him. And maybe he'll heal my daughter, you know. Maybe he'll heal my daughter. So, so now, just like the woman who determined that she has to find Jesus, now Jairus has determined that he has to find Jesus as well. So we have two different people who started two different journeys. About the same time, 12 years ago, we see now that they're about to cross paths. Their paths are about to intersect in the story. I don't know about you, but whenever I back up, I'm getting off the camera completely. Aren't I? <laughs> All right, sorry about that. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if you're like me or not, but if you're ever at home, just kind of flipping through the channels, watching TV, and I know my wife tells me I watch way too much TV, and I'm not arguing, but if you're at home flipping through the channels and you come across a certain movie, there are certain movies that whenever you come across them, you're gonna stop and you're gonna watch, right? You're gonna stop and you're gonna watch, at least until the next commercial anyway, but anyway, they're gonna, you're gonna stop and watch some of these. Uh, I have a few of those. One of those is Shrek. If I see Shrek on TV and I'm going past it, I'm going to stop and watch. If it's the first one, second one, anyway. I don't know, the third and fourth, I don't know. But, but if Shrek's on, I'm going to stop and watch it a little bit. Another one is Lord of the Rings. Now, this is the one you got to be careful with because if you start watching Lord of the Rings, you might be um, sitting on the couch for the next nine, ten hours because these are really long movies. So that's another one to stop and watch. Then Mission Impossible. There's about 18 of these, so... They're always on, so if, if, it's, if it's on, I'm going to stop and watch this a little bit just to see how incredible Tom Cruise actually is because he does a lot of incredible things there, impossible things even. <laughs> so, and then another one is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Another classic. So many classic lines there. And then the last one, there's another one called No Country for Old Men. I don't know if anybody, that, that's probably not as popular as the other ones, but it's one of my movies that I go to whenever I see it on. And it probably has one of the, the best villains ever in a movie. Uh, this guy is completely psychopath. I mean, he's completely out there. But he's also very intelligent. And he's also very, very um, monotone, just like, kind of like me. But just like, you know, he's straight. He, he doesn't show emotion. He's just, just flat like that, you know. Just one of the, one of the, better, um, one of the better villains that I've ever seen on a, on a movie. And I won't get into all the, the, um, the plot or anything, but there's a scene in Old No Country for Old Men where he's out in the middle of nowhere at this little mom-and-pop gas station, right? And he goes in to pay for his gas and buy some snacks or whatever. <clears throat> and it's an old man running the, running the, the gas station. And the old man just kind of like tries to chit-chat and, you know, shoot the breeze with him a little bit. But, the, but our villain here doesn't want anything to do with it, right? So he kind of plays along for a little bit. Then he just gets annoyed. And he asked the man, he said, how much have you, what's the, what's the most that you've ever lost on a coin toss? And the old man's kind of confused, like, what are you talking about? I don't know, you know I don't know how much I've lost on a coin toss. And so, he's, so the, the villain takes a quarter out, flips it on the table, covers it up, says, call it. And the man's like, well, I, I got to know what I'm calling it for. And, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what we got put up here and everything. And so he's just kind of getting nervous. He's wanting to close the store. But, but the villain's like, you got to call it. And then he goes into a story about the quarter. He says, do you know what the date is on this quarter? And the old man's like, no, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> you know? He says, the, quarter, the date on this quarter is 1958. 
This quarter has been traveling since 1958 to get to this spot right now, and it's here right now, and you've got to call it. You've got to determine what it is, heads or tails, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious that the, the villain is asking the man to call heads or tails whether or not he's going to kill him or not, right? So it's a big decision for the man, and he eventually calls tails, I mean heads. He calls heads, and then something else happens. I don't know what I'll say. But anyway, the coin had been on a journey since 1958, right? This coin had been through Coke machines, cash registers, piggy banks. This coin had been through the laundry, probably. I know it's been in my house, it's been through the laundry a few times. Been in different pockets everywhere. But it's been on this journey through all this to reach this exact moment with this specific purpose to be flipped for the old man to call heads or tails to determine whether it was life or death. Now, Jairus and the woman had been traveling their whole lives for this exact moment, for this exact purpose, to cross paths at this exact point. They'd both been through a lot to get there. You know, they'd been, a lot, been through a lot of different things, good, bad, in between. They'd been a lot to get to this point. And Jesus was the point where their journeys would meet at that exact moment for the specific purpose to determine life and death. So Jairus' path to Jesus was probably easier than the woman's path. You know, he, with his social standing, the crowds probably recognized him and his importance, and they kind of just probably spread out and let him just move easily through the crowd right there in front of Jesus, right? So Jairus finally gets, gets to Jesus, and he puts aside any bad feelings that he had for Jesus, right? All the plans and all the things that they were going to do to try to get rid of him, he puts that aside. And he also puts aside his high um, standing in society, and he humbles himself and falls at the feet of Jesus and starts begging him, please heal my daughter. And the woman's path to Jesus was probably unlike Jairus. Jairus had the easy path. The woman had to struggle to get to him. She probably had to disguise herself first just to be out in public because she didn't want to be recognized as the unclean lady. So she's probably following behind the crowd, you know, kind of staying behind in the shadows. Just, and she probably has to force her way through the crowd. She may even have to crawl, get on her hands and knees and crawl to Jesus just to get to him. She finally gets there. She reaches out and she knows that if she can just touch even the bottom of his, of his robe, even if she can just get a, just, just a small touch that she's going to be healed. So now this woman who was hopeless for years and hadn't suffered for years, she's full of faith and full of hope now as she reaches out and she touches Jesus. And at that moment, her whole journey changes and she's instantly healed. And then the story goes on. Jesus asked who touched me. Uh, the woman tells her story. And then Jesus said, verse 48 says, your faith has made you well again, daughter. Go in peace. And right at that instance, one of Jairus' household servants arrives saying, sir, your daughter is dead. It's no use bothering the teacher with this anymore. So these journeys have taken so long, you know, over all these courses, all these different circumstances, all the problems they face, all the good times and the bad times, these journeys finally meet, they finally intersect, and one daughter is healed, and one daughter has died. Two very different people on two very different journeys crossing paths at the exact same moment 
in history with two different outcomes, death and life. But the good news is, is that when you're on a journey and you decide to set out to find Jesus, death is not the final outcome. Jairus' servant said that she's dead. There's nothing else we can do. Don't bother Jesus with this. But Jesus said something different. He said, no, let's go. So Jesus goes with him to his house, through all the crowd, through all the mocking, and he raises his daughter from the dead. So the outcome for both journeys eventually is the same. Both end up with life and not death. When Jesus comes into your journey, he's going to bring life. Without Jesus in this journey, without Jesus in this story, both would have ended in misery and death. The woman would have lived her life miserably for the rest of her life, and the the Jairus would have lost his daughter. And the Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus comes. When Jesus comes into our journey, he brings life, and life more abundantly. And I know that we are all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And it doesn't matter if we've been on this journey for years and years. It doesn't matter how long we've been on this journey. It could have started today. And we've all been through difficult things to get here. We've been through good. We've been through bad. Some have been through very bad stuff. We're all different people with different backgrounds and different stories and just different situations. But, but we're all meeting at this point, right now in history, for a specific reason. And Jesus is right in the middle of it all. And we know that whenever Jesus is in the middle of it all, he's bringing that life. He's bringing that life and that restoration that we need. I know from my personal, my personal story, my family's journey brought us here as about three years ago now, I think. Three or four? Yeah. So, and we came in, and we were wounded a little. We were hurt, limping a little bit. Uh, we had family struggles, uh, financial struggles. And, and me personally, I was probably in the darkest place that I'd been in my life. I mean, I was in a really, really dark place. Uh, but God brought us here. And we crossed paths with all these families here. And Jesus was right in the middle of it all. And he brought life back into our situation. He took what looked like it was dying and gave it life again. You know, because we were going through a lot of stuff. And, and just with Jesus being here, with everyone meeting here together, he brought life back, back to us. And my hope is, is that this word also speaks to someone else about the journey that they're on right now. And just know that no matter what your journey looks like, uh, no matter if it's just started 12 minutes ago or it's been going for 12 years, 20 years, whatever, it doesn't matter how long it's been going, it doesn't matter what you've been going through. It doesn't matter if, if you're hurt, if you're sick, if you're lonely, it doesn't matter if, if you've been through so much pain because um, God can um, bring life back to you. If you decide on your journey that you have to find him, then it's not about where you need to go anymore. It's about where God's going to take you on this journey. And if you, when you decide that, that you're going after what he wants you to do, where he wants you to go, and it's not about what I want to do anymore, that's whenever he can continue you on the path and give you the healing and the deliverance, the peace restoration and the new life that you need. So whatever you need for the journey, just know when you make the journey about finding Jesus, you make it about him, he's going to bring 
and give you everything that you need. Don't make it about what you want. Don't make it about where you want to go. Make it about what he wants to do for you and where he wants to take you. And he'll give you everything and, and all that you need. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to speak your word, God. And I just pray, God, that whether through me or in spite of me, God, that you're speaking right now to someone in the journey they're in their life, God, and, and that you're speaking to them, you're speaking life into their situation, God. Lord, I know that there are people who are hurting. There are people who are, who are, who are wounded and suffering, God. There are people who are going through things right now, Lord. And I just pray, God, that, that you will step in, Lord, and you will breathe life into their lives, into their situation, God. And Lord, we just trust you, God. We trust your word. We trust in, in your will, God, being done in our lives right now, God. And I just pray, God, that you will speak to us now, God, in the journey that we're in, Lord, and, and breathe life into us again, God. We love you, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephen. Amen. Why don't you give Tim and the Lord a hand? That was, man. Man, that was about five different kinds of good, wasn't it? Goodness gracious. Andrew, if you'll go ahead and come up, we'll get ready to sing together as we go. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. That was a blessing. You're a blessing. And I'm glad that you're here. I think I told you that not too long after you got here. I'm still glad that you're here. Amen. And that reminder, you know, we read of these stories in the Bible and we can shrink someone's actual literal life down to just a moment. And they're a character in a story when they were living a life the day before that and the week before that and 12 years before that. And what a great reminder that we are on a journey. 